This is What Comes Next, a show about the technologies that will shape your future. I'm Amy Dickens. I'm Rob Kellner. And I'm Kwaku Akamensa. Thank you for joining us on episode 31 of What Comes Next. Today, we're speaking with Alex Young, founder and CEO of Verti. Alex is a trauma and orthopedic surgeon with a passion for training and improving education. He founded Verti in response to a growing need within the medical community for training which is accessible and scalable. Verti's platform allows for training in VR and AR and harnesses the power of AI to provide users with real-time feedback on their performance. And it isn't just in the medical community either. Before we get started, though, let's catch up with my other co-hosts, Rob and Kweku. Let's just check in with you guys. How are you both getting on? Yeah, uh, obviously very warm. It's like the hottest day of the year, right? I hear it's like 36 out. It certainly feels like it. So yeah, that's kind of interesting. But also, like, it's just been nice, actually. I know like the heat is, is pretty brutal, but it's been nice to get some vitamin D, bit of sunshine, get the barbecue going, all of that good stuff. Summer vibes, you know, it's a good thing. That's right. Summer vibes. Yeah, for sure. It's funny, isn't it? We've been talking there's like the last few weeks has been sort of mediocre weather, so much conversation around, you know, where's the summer? We had all the we had we had a great spring when we were all locked down. Now we're a bit more free. The good weather's here and suddenly everyone's complaining. The most British thing there is, right? It's just the constant complaints about the weather, rain or shine, there's always something to complain about. But no, I agree, it's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. Um and it's uh yeah, and it's nice and we get to be at home for it. So that's that's cool too. Yeah. Do you know what's been giving me the biggest summer vibes is I bought a pair of roller skates two weeks ago and (laughs) I've been out with like my 70s disco playlist in my roller skates pretty much every day I go down to the park and I have a go at it and I became obsessed with the idea of roller skating after seeing someone on Instagram called Umijanta, I think that's how her name is pronounced and she was just so incredible, I became like completely in love with her and her skating um and i can tell you right now i don't quite look like her on a pair of skates just yet but uh i'll get there is this amy are we talking blades or are we talking kind of the the four wheels with the kind of the the, the thick brake on the front Oh, yeah. It's called a, to- a toe stop, actually, Rob. Toe stop. Okay. Those That's of us cool. who are in the know will call it a toe stop. And what um, kind of moves have you got down at the moment? What, what's like the, the piece de resistance right now? The piece de resistance is staying upright Ooh. right now. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I can go forwards. I'm just starting to learn turns and going backwards. Um, but I'm only two weeks in, so it's really not impressive. But I, I've only fallen twice, which I am quite excited about. So. I've rediscovered iced tea, and it is an absolute romance. It's amazing. <laughs> Just a cold glass of like iced tea with some ice cubes in it. It's, like, it's, it's unreal. It reminds me of like kids' holidays uh, from back in the day. It was so nice. Could peppermint uh, tea be being replaced? No, to be honest, I drink like hot tea all day long as well. It's really <laughs> um, but yeah, iced tea is a vibe. Can I actually just, um, this might not make it in, but I want to share it with you guys anyway. Something that I've, uh, this, so there was an article about this on uh, Hacker News a few weeks ago, which is like Y Combinator's kind of news aggregation site um, about this kind of, about this material called non-radioactive steel. You ever heard of this before? No. Okay. So basically this is any steel 
that predates the first like nuclear tests. So sort of the 40s and 50s and 60s. So this is any steel that isn't inflicted with any kind of radioact- uh, radioactivity because of the detonation of nuclear bombs. Okay, And the reason you need this steel is it needs to, it forms parts of things like Geiger counters, which obviously detect radiation. So you need steel that isn't in, of itself radioactive to detect, to be sensed, to, to create tools that are sensitive enough to detect radioactivity. What's mad is that because obviously this is all steel from pre, what would it be, kind of 1940 four let's say so this is a basically a supply of steel that is is older than that and the biggest supply of this low background steel is a is a sunken fleet of german warships from world war one off the coast of scotland that is absolutely awesome mate (laughs) the most crazy mental thing i've heard this week out of left field with an absolute nugget there i'm sorry yeah i'm not not particularly on topic but i just i i I saw it and i thought like holy crap! What what, like, what a, cool, a cool thing, an awesome thing to be going on, and yeah, I just I'd never heard of it happening before because it all kind of makes sense, right? If you add the pieces together, it's like okay, yeah. So you need steel for this reason, and that, but it just it all, all together, it's just it's just a, a real mind blower. So I'm I'm glad you guys indulged me with that. Probably the the um the process of making steel somehow like absorbs like latent radiation in the atmosphere. Then. So like. <laughs> parts that they somehow like yeah they go off neutral or something like that when when it's created but once yeah. it uh once it's um uh hardened then it's sort of i don't know it, it's kind of locked in time that's really interesting man what the hell what <laughs> yeah what have you dredged up on your scottish watch you <laughs> <laughs> who knew who knew the resources were lurking under scottish waters hello alex thank you very much for joining us on what comes next thank you so much for having me great to uh, great to be speaking with you so you're here to talk to us a little bit about verti which is a platform where you are using ar and vr to train uh, people mainly in the medical field but you've also got quite a lot of um, power there in terms of collecting data so do you want to tell us a little bit about verti how you use it i guess the origin story yeah definitely so um Basically, Verti, our, our mission is to improve human performance and specifically employee performance for um, large enterprise organizations by making experiential, uh, so kind of on-the-job training, affordable and accessible and scalable for, for everyone on the planet. So uh, to do that, as you mentioned, Amy, we, we use a, a couple of different types of technologies, uh, VR and AR being two of them, but we also use a lot of AI um, and we're effectively a corporate training platform. Um, and at the moment, um, we operate predominantly in the healthcare sector. So across, um, big, uh, hospitals and academic medical centers, uh, as well as with pharma and med device companies. Um, and that's partly because, um, the role of doctors, nurses, and anyone involved in patient care is very, very important. And, um, mistakes can lead to, um, you know, quite significant com- uh, consequences for patients, uh, but also because my background is as uh, an NHS trained trauma and orthopedic surgeon. Um, and when I was going through kind of my training, both at medical school and my postgraduate training, um, firstly, I saw the, you know, phenomenal effort uh, that the the healthcare workforce uh, in particular um, 
basically puts in on a day-to-day basis to help patients, uh, not just in the UK, but around the world. Um, and, and we've really sort of seen that come to the front uh, during COVID, um, you know, quite rightly, where people were literally putting their lives on the line. Um, and then I was also seeing um, a, a lot of, um, I, I suppose, sort of inequalities um, in how employees and people were trained. So, for example, um, if if I uh, went into a hospital on one particular day of the week in one particular geographical region, the training that I received might be significantly better or worse than one of my peers. Um, and that might just be in uh, a Western healthcare setting. And when you then kind of extrapolate that to resource limited environments or environments where your workforce is, is very um, disparately spread, uh, so especially places like sub-Saharan Africa, where there are only um, a handful of medical um, schools and training organizations for a massive population. Um, it was something that I, I was really, really passionate about solving. And, and we we uh, did and still do feel it's it's a massive um, uh, thing that, that if we, you know, we can really solve it and we can improve how people are trained, make them feel better prepared to do their jobs, reduce their anxiety around doing their jobs, um, that will lead to, to better organizational outputs and in healthcare better better patient uh, care basically okay so you basically have kind of the where this idea started is you saw that there was a place to improve training and well you saw different levels of training and different ways that training was being delivered and you saw a way to improve that via implementing um i guess a scalable training program yeah that's right i mean i I think you know getting to kind of specifics when i um certainly when i qualified from medical school but also actually when I just went to a new job or hospital, which um, mm. in the UK happens uh, either every four months or every six months, depending on um, the specialty you're working in, you would basically need to be reorientated to um, a particular department or hospital. Um, mm-hmm. And it caused, you know, even when you'd been working in, in, the, uh, in the specialty for a long period of time, it causes a lot of anxiety. You know, if, if you guys think about when you, um, I, I guess your first day of work, there's always some apprehension to, you know, what, what's going to happen? What, what should I expect? And if you translate that into a healthcare setting, uh, when people are sort of stressed or they feel somewhat underprepared for, for going into high pressure situations, that's when errors can happen. So, uh, I mean, medical error in particular, there was a, a paper published in the British Medical Journal um, around about sort of um, five or six years ago now, uh, which highlighted that uh, medical error was one of the, the biggest causes of um, preventable death, basically, in, in Western healthcare systems. And I think in the US, it was labeled as, as the third um, uh, biggest actual killer in, in hospital patients, which was absolutely shocking. Um, and for me, I guess personally, like when you go into any sort of new environment, uh, you it, it's very difficult to you know think about what the stress and emotion um, it, it, it is going to you know be like. And, and in clinical practice, you go through medical school, you learn um, lots and lots from books, you shadow in hospital, you do your clinical practice, but that can never really prepare you for the first time that your bleep goes off um, or, you're, or, you know, you're, you're involved in a, uh, like a, a, what's called a trauma call in orthopedics where a multiply injured patient comes in that's been cut out of a, a car or a vehicle collision or something like that. And, and it was, it was that bit that kind of fascinated me uh, from a training point of view, because even with face-to-face training, um, it's very difficult collecting data on how people are going to perform. Mm-hmm. So I might be, you know, brilliant in, in medical school and, and in my postgraduate training, but suddenly 
when it counts under pressure, I, I don't perform because I get really nervous or my decision-making skills aren't up to speed or my communication skills. And lots of these kind of um, subjective soft skills type disciplines that are very, very difficult to collect data on and, and compare to. And so that that was really what one of the things that we set out to do at the beginning, which is building a, a actually a, a data system before we plugged in all this exciting technology, um, which could collect and transform some of that subjective data into objective, comparable uh, data. I want to get onto the the sort of data part of it a little bit later, but first, before we do that, would you mind just kind of talking through what the experience would be for someone using this platform for training? Yeah, sure. So we uh, we basically provide a it's it's a cloud based um, platform that's accessed by. Um, health professionals, employees on mobile, on desktop, or on virtual augmented reality headsets mm-hmm. um, with a kind of focus on, as you said, the sort of data science analysis of the training data um, that can be kind of uniquely captured across those mediums. Um, so, for example, when an organization signs up, um, they will have access to uh, a web-based uh, LMS with some unique data visualization properties across their whole workforce. And from that um web that sort of a cloud-based system they can also manage content so one of the unique things about our platform is um we empower people and organizations to actually create their own um unique content around their own training needs so as you can as you can kind of imagine like a, a one individual hospital um, might have very different guidelines from uh, one in a different country or even within the NHS hospital guidelines are, are different and equally um, if you think about corporate training so things like sales training um, everyone has their own sort of sales playbook or, or, mm-hmm. or ways that they sort of you know coach their coach their, their workforce so um, it, it basically allows um, uh, an element of content management whether that's through 2D video um, 360 virtual reality video um, or using computer generated VR and avatars and what that basically means is that the content that, that then is plugged into the system we've built can be quite broad um, and to give you an example of that in healthcare some of the content for like an individual hospital um, we we have seen put on that can span uh, mental health training to surgical procedures um, but but all of it really has a focus on infrequent high risk uh, clinical events uh, together mm. with soft skills training alex I just had um two two quick uh, kind of follow up questions on that so one um i was wondering if you could describe a sort of one of those uh rare but particularly kind of dangerous events particularly i guess in the medical field and two i was wondering when you talk about companies being able to kind of create their own um training environments particularly sort of the mixed reality environments how difficult is that for a company to do themselves it, it, it sort of theoretically or i guess in the face of it sounds quite difficult to create a sort of virtual environment but but is it actually as complicated as it sounds well i'll, I'll try and i'll try and combine both of those questions into uh <laughs> hopefully yeah, a comprehensive answer for you. so um uh i mean to give you a really good example so um and we can touch on this later but um during covid um as you can imagine, a lot of the uh, guidelines within hospitals around um, things like, you know, quite basic stuff like CPR training, so cardiopulmonary resuscitation, um, changed because of COVID. So people had to be wearing um, protective equipment and uh, it also uh, changed how you could actually you know, give things like mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to patients and so forth. So if you can imagine 
a big hospital and, and we've worked with hospitals in the NHS as well as some large organizations in, in the United States, they suddenly need to upskill their workforce really, really quickly around these almost daily changing COVID guidelines um, that happened early on this year. And so, you know, using CPR as an example, um, a, a number of our customers actually did this. Um, uh, and what they were able to do was effectively use a combination of 360 video and 2D video um, to capture their um, normal uh, standardized training of how they would um, train uh, doctors and nurses in what's called their simulation centers. And then they were able to very quickly upload that onto our platform and make it interactive. Um, and one of the ways that you can use our platform is actually to add in effectively assessment questions and and course structure. So um, within probably around about 24 hours, a number of hospitals we worked with had produced uh, what were effectively almost like compliance training courses on how to ensure that their um, workforce was adequately um, upskilled on how to put on things like protective equipment and how to um, do CPR training with updated guidelines. And then from the dashboard, the organization was able to see um, who had completed that training, who had um, you know, potential weak areas uh, around some of the training that was delivered, um, and also any, any specific data that was brought back, such as um, people's decision-making speed or any components of, of those uh, training methods where people were not performing as, as well as their peers, um, which gives them just a, a huge amount of data. Um, so, you know, I, th I think what we've built is a, a system which, um, although it goes to enterprise customers, um, it, it's got a very kind of consumer facing, um, configurability and, and usability in how the training is created. So really anyone can use it. And, and one of the things we, um, are big advocates of is actually getting the employees to create their own training, um, around their own needs. So we, we, you know, probably some of the best stuff we've seen across the platform, um, has come from either, um, medical students or, um, postgraduate, uh, trainees who, who have seen a problem that's not being addressed. And then they've been able to use our platform to rectify that and, and share that sort of learning, uh, experience with their peers, which is, is super rewarding for everyone involved. That's fascinating. Again, I was wondering, is, can you give an example of, of something that a student has created in order to sort of, yeah, help, sounds like help their classmates or help everyone involved in the training? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I mean, I mean, we, we've got so much stuff really that's, that's, um, been, been put through the platform, but I mean, the thing that pops into my head, not actually from a, uh, a medical student, but actually from some school students. Um, so with, um, Boston Children's Hospital, who are uh, who, we, who we've done um, quite a bit of work with, um, they've got a patient advocacy group who are effectively children who've been treated at the hospital, um, and then they uh, come back to suggest um, uh, specific things that the hospital can do to improve um, how how it operates and runs. And one of the things that we did with um, Boston Children's was we enabled some of those children to utilize the platform and create their own experiences. And that meant that um, they were able to uh, recreate certain things that they found stressful. So um, examples might be going down for an MRI scan, uh, which can be very, very scary if you're a patient, um, going into an operating theater, or even just coming in on, on the day of an operation to go to um, the sort of pre-op assessment ward and how you get there. Um, so that that was a really, really interesting use case. Um, I think other things that, that we've seen, which is amazing, um, 
again, I'm slightly biased because of my my orthopedic surgical background, but um, some of the surgical procedures that um, people have sort of captured of, of real operations with real patients, um, where you're able to basically immerse yourself just like uh, you're actually there in the operating theater. Um, and, and, you know, if, if you know your medical history, the reason it's called a theater is because, um, you know, people used to go in and actually watch these procedures. Now that's very difficult to do. So, um, th things that, that are just inaccessible and very difficult to scale like operations or like that experiential feeling of going for an MRI scan, um, are, are, you know, great examples of how this type of technology can really impact people's learning, understanding and reduce their anxiety. Alex, can I ask um, a little bit about uh, novel types of surgery and operations? Um, I, I just wonder, I can imagine at the moment that when a new type of technology comes to the market and um, new operations are being performed for the first time, it takes quite a long time for those to proliferate into lots and lots of different institutions and to become best practice, I suppose. What are the implications for your technology in accelerating the rates of um of improvement in terms of best practice in medicine yes it's it's a really really good question and, and i think um again apologies to any medics listening uh, i'm gonna get down a very surgical route even though we do <laughs> uh, you know soft skills training is obviously a, a massive component of what we do as well but um you're absolutely right uh so disseminating any sort of information and and novel technologies apps you know or, or, or you know even new ways of operating just operative techniques absolutely um but I, I think even um before that to be perfectly honest like the simple stuff like um how can one one individual surgeon um who's got say you know 50 years of experience who's nearing retirement how can they pass on their tips and tricks and all that experience before they retire to as many people as possible and it and um you know surgery in particular is very interesting because it's it's an apprenticeship type um learning um that people go through so the whole uh history of surgery is you used to go and try and train with the the, the bit largest number and the best surgeons um, that you could, and then you'd adopt the, the best um, and hopefully avoid and not adopt the worst bits of their practice as you saw that. Um, and then you, you had this kind of force multiplied effect. So you're absolutely right. I mean, that, that was one of the big passions for me, which before we, you know, before we even get into all the data and everything, just the ability to um, scale uh, little tips and, and, and tricks, you know, uh, as well as some of these new operative techniques. Uh, to anyone in the world on your mobile device in your pocket was, was one of the real driving forces of, of what we want to do on the scale side. Um, and I, I, I always, you know, I, I, I'm sure if you've got any friends that are, are medics, um, they will go above and beyond to sort of, you know, find training opportunities and make sure that they are as good as they can be to help their patients. And often the blocker on that is just being physically present um, or, you know, space. So for surgery, for example, you can maybe get around about four people around an operating table um, to learn from. But, you know, other than that, it's very, very difficult to scale that. And even if you do sort of 2D video recording, um, there's not a great deal of time for kind of reflection or seeing some of like the, the teamwork communication or all of the other subtle things that aren't really um taught I, I guess you know electronically um that you really only get from kind of like face-to-face in-person like 
mentorship type training. And, and that's the kind of thing we really wanted to, to, try and, to try and scale when we set out to create 30. So I'm, I'm really interested in this um, data uh, collection and data analysis that you guys have been working on because the soft skills that you're focusing on, things like communication and decision-making are sort of like famously, ridiculously hard to quantify. So I'm just, I'm really interested to hear how you came about um, sort of designing a platform that would be able to understand and analyze this kind of data. Yeah, I mean, I, th I think you know, step one to that was basically just building uh, a tech team of absolute geniuses. So um, I can't. <laughs> that's I can't, step one. Yeah, that, that's, that's definitely step one. So um, I can't take any credit for for you know the amazing stuff that that we've um, got powering kind of the system. That that's all down to our um, our, our technology team who've, who've been absolutely fantastic. But um, I mean, at, at a very basic level, one of the first things we set out to try to quantify. Um, was effectively decision-making speed. So um, one of the, the things that virtual reality in, in particular is very good at is you can collect new unique data insights um, and, and analyze that using data science. So um, for example, even if you were just talking about a sort of um, 360 um, video that was completely passive, you can pull off a lot of information around where people um, are looking, how quickly their attention uh, moves to sort of an area of concern or, or, or something that's happening in a scene. Um, and then if you sort of add in um, action points as well, you can actually collect a, a lot of data around how people's um, initial kind of cognitive reaction to a, a specific, you know, either hazardous event or something happening in in um, the, the scene takes place. And then you can, um, you know, do, do some uh, AI-based analysis of that and, and then produce that comparatively uh, in, in sort of a visual manner on, on the dashboards. Um, the soft skills training is really, really interesting because there's there's just a heck of a lot of stuff that um, can be done there. And, and you know, a lot of this is things we're still working on, so can't go into a huge amount of detail. But I, I will say um, things like, uh, obviously things like natural language processing and, and voice analysis um, are, n at the moment, um, that combined with kind of computer vision are, are in the sort of research literature, two of the really sort of fastest moving things out there. So, uh, you know, if, if you look at some of the the more sort of techie papers published about three years ago, um, some of the uh, the work being done has, has just, you know, moved on in leaps and bounds. So things like being, uh, not just being able to kind of quantify like the sentiment of someone's conversation, but actually um, analyze uh, the the content of what they're saying against um, sort of like a, a best practice and it, and in healthcare the thing I always sort of just bring this back to is however complex the algorithms are the way that um, soft skills uh, is taught at the moment in any discipline really so whether it's um, breaking bad news and communication skills in healthcare or whether it's sales or support training for a corporate or um, you know having a difficult conversation or something like that. It's, very, it's done through kind of role play and actors. And um, at the moment, the gold standard is you've probably got one or two actors, uh, an employee interfacing with those actors, uh, sort of talking through a, a, a role play scenario on the fly with someone else kind of anal uh, analyzing their performance and then giving subjective feedback against a, uh, whatever the kind of, you know, score sheet uh, that the, the organization might have. We use some of those existing 
I guess, pathways of how people um, look to analyze soft skills. And then we just bring in a lot more data analysis to it, mm. um, which, which has just been fascinating. And then you can also move into communication between team members and um, what type, you know, how people are actually communicating. Say for leadership, for example, is somebody uh, shouting when uh, something gets very, very difficult or are they remaining calm and are they, you know, interfacing with the whole team as, as good leaders should? There must be some really, really interesting um, results that you're seeing from that. I mean, I, what's the correlation between somebody being the top of the class academically and the top of the data set um, in terms of decision making or in terms of, uh, you know, on the fly, under pressure um, decisions? I think I think it's really variable. So um, I suppose it depends a little bit on what the what the content is. But I think, you know, you're absolutely right that uh, one, I mean, one of the reasons this is such an important thing is that uh, people have a completely separate, I suppose, you know, soft skills, um, you know, com- component to their, 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 um, the way that they actually behave compared to, you know, learning something. Um, so someone might be fantastic, like wrote learning something from a book, or they might have all their knowledge down, but they might not be very good at communicating. And I think, um, you know, anyone has probably got a friend or colleague um, who is like a genius, but not great at, at actually communicating with a team. Um, and uh, that that's very true from from some of the data that we, we have seen um, collected through the system. Um, and I, I think, you know, the, the other really interesting thing is that decision making as well and how people actually perform under pressure is very variable. So, um, yes, we that there is some correlation with how well kind of prepared people are and how well they understand uh, the sort of technical aspects and the underlying knowledge. Um, but but there is also an element of um, have you been through a similar uh, environment before? Um, how do you handle yourself under pressure? What, what's your sort of natural process for dealing with that before you then make a decision in that environment? And, and that's some of the really interesting data we can pull out. I find this really fascinating just um, in ter- I mean, taking it out of the medical field, but just in terms of broader application, um, the, what you're working on uh, with the kind of leadership skills or communication, it literally applies to every industry. And I can imagine that it would be extremely useful information. It's like it's it's like game, gamification against yourself, extremely useful information if you're trying to improve on your communication skills or your leadership skills. Um, because right now, all you can really do is take feedback from another person, which is, of course, will be laced with some kind of opinion or, or agenda. Um, but, but yeah, having that actual data that says this is how you interacted in this situation and you're performing. I don't know if I'm misinterpreting what the platform does, but you're performing in a slightly different way in this situation than you would be in that other one. Like, I don't know it feels like that would be really useful feedback to be getting. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I, I, you know, I think, I guess just to kind of elaborate on some of the soft skills training, um, yeah. you know, one of the, one of the other components to our platform. So yes, we use a lot of, um, 2D and 360 video because uh, it, it obviously recreates the most realistic uh, example of, of what a physical environment is going to be like and gives you mm-hmm. the most realistic exposure to kind of pressure and 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 as I said you know there's tips and tricks of individual um, uh, you know master trainers that, that we spoke about earlier but we we do also use uh, computer generated avatars um, who 
you can then actually have a uh, a conversation with a little bit similar yes. to, to like an Amazon Alexa. Um, and depending on what you say or do, they will respond to you. So um, if you say something they don't like, they will respond with a grimace. If you uh, you know say something that makes them cry, they will cry. And equally, if, if you're um, not uh, adequately sort of assessing them, they might they might get irritated. So that uh, that sort of computer generated avatar um, natural language process component of, of what we're doing um, is not just built for healthcare. That's built for um, you know any any kind of sector or setting. So you could have difficult conversations with employees where you're uh, you know coaching them or needing to reprimand them or um, or hiring people. Um, or sales training or support training um, or just things like um, how to how to do kind of public speaking um, all, all incredibly useful things which um, yeah, yeah, what, what we're really focused on for our, the organizations we work with is you know what's your biggest problem at the moment and how can we help you solve that so um, mm. whether it's like reducing the time needed to do in-person training um, or whether it's about improving knowledge retention for employees, or whether it's improving a specific skill set for their employees. Um, again, our, our system is kind of uh, broad enough and provides an end-to-end solution to be able to really jump into some of the, those key problems. And uh, I, I think you know the, the other thing I'd, I'd probably just mention around that um, is is very much on the um, you know the, the employee side as you said you know they're getting a lot of unique data about their own performance which then basically empowers them and helps them to understand um you know what improvement they need to do so the system will actually uh use as you said gamification techniques all our tech team are kind of games developers um for um showing people their weak areas their strengths um as well as individual components of like uh, their, their sort of soft skills of, of what they should be working on improving. Um, so, so yeah, really, really, really interesting, um, variable kind of ways that we interface with organizations. I just had this vision of, uh, you know, like that typical film trope of someone giving a speech into a mirror because they, they, they haven't quite got the guts up to, to give it to the other character <laughs> this is like the the modern version of that where they're they've got this avatar that they get to practice their speech to and get to receive feedback based on data right yeah <laughs> that's I mean, what that, i'm just that, imagining that, that i mean that's that, that's it or you know i think um uh, again i'm sure anyone who's done in any in any sector if you've done any kind of role play with actors um, yeah it's always really challenging um <laughs> just getting into the flow and actually trying to pretend it's real because firstly yeah, yeah most of the time you're surrounded by your peers and you don't want to look silly in front of all of your friends. Um, so you're, you're obviously, you know, uh, not going to take it completely seriously. And then not all the actors they get in are going to be, um, you know, kind of like Hollywood professionals. Um, <laughs> it, it's not going to be, it's not going to be ever as realistic as you could hope. Uh, and again, the date, the data is kind of lost in those environments because it's not, mm. not often not recorded um, or it's not like written down or reflected upon by the, by the learners. Now, uh, we're called What Comes Next on this podcast, so I'd like to suspend reality for the next little while, if that's all right with you. Um, if the current limitations of this technology didn't exist, what would be your wildest dream with this tech? Like, What's the end picture that you would love to see happen in the near future or even the distant future? Yeah, so I mean, our, our kind of, I guess, tech vision and goal is that everyone has on-demand 
uh, continuous access to effectively any uh, training that's going on anywhere in the world. So if there is an unbelievably good um, salesperson who is working in Tibet, you could have access to that and you could see what they're doing and you could go through their training modules and potentially be as good as them. Um, on top of that, we want to effectively provide um, learning and training with the same kind of data insight that we're now seeing um, you know, commercial fitness tools providing to the general public. So things like Fitbits and things like MyFitnessPal, where you're collecting lots of data on everything from your nutrition to potentially your blood glucose um, to how many steps you've done in your exercise regime. We want to see that integrated to training. So we know um, how frequently people are training, what they're doing, and really what the best, um, you know, wh whatever role you are doing, th there is going to be someone who is just phenomenal at that. And we want to understand what makes them the best and then yeah. provide basically that journey that has made them the best to everyone on the planet. It feels like a sort of version of um, the sort of downloading a neurological program into your brain in the matrix, right? It's the like, matrix, oh, that's what you, I was thinking. Right, it's like, I don't know how to fly a helicopter. I know how to fly a helicopter now. Like it's like obviously slightly longer time span, but it's, that's what it sounds like, right? It's just this library of knowledge and you just have to kind of plug it in. That's, well, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, I think the, the only caveat I'd say to that is we, we do think that uh, learning should be fun as well. So I think you should enjoy your learning journey rather than just plugging in. So just I think cheat. Yeah, rather, <laughs> rather than just getting, getting, it, getting it embedded immediately. I think you, you need to enjoy, uh, you know, learning stuff and also making mistakes and, and learning from them as well. Um, yeah. on your journey kind of mastery and proficiency it's it also feels like you could you could have a like because there's also motivations part of this right motivating someone to keep going on with training um and to and to put the effort in to reach those heights because presumably no matter you know you can have the best as it were training facilities in the world but if people don't use them to their ability then you don't get the high performance so it'd be interesting to see if there's a if there's room for sort of uh, an ai powered avatar that is like the best coach in the world at whatever right like it's sort of you know like the the pep guardiola of whatever it is that you're um trying to learn but just but but engineered by an ai and sort of rendered by an ai to sort of appeal to your views on what a sort of coach would be yeah completely i mean i, I think anything where it's um because I, I mean you know taking a step back if if you think about people who um you know drop out of training or drop out of school or something like that it's because often because they just get frustrated with how they're being taught um and and you know what's basically on offer so if we can make things both fun and we can provide people with the best equipment um and and tools and, and you know coaching tools specifically uh it's going to make everyone much more excited about what their role is and what they're doing and and much you know better and safer at their, their jobs um i do want to kind of take this down a slightly strange avenue um Kind of a kind of dystopic, uh, slightly avenue because I'm thinking about the um, commoditization of experience here. You know, you potentially let, let's take the the medical example, right? You've got a consultant that um, has 30 years of experience, or, or or actually maybe something even more kind of um, rare to find, sort of valued commodity in terms of experience. Someone who's like a, a field medic, right? Perhaps the um, the data that can be drawn from them uh, eventually with um, with a system like this, it 
could be sold to the highest bidder, right? Like a, an insurance company um, or a uh, private medical facility that has access to the rarest of um, medical experience training, you know, kind of specializing in becoming um, uh, b- becoming the the final kind of go to for the for the uber wealthy. Would that be something that is is kind of possible, if not foreseeable, with this with this kind of um, uh, I guess like the, this hunt for the 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 kind of rare information, the rare experiences that can train um, other individuals. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting point. I, I think actually, you know, just to flip that on its head, I think, you know, that partially in some sectors happens now. So, you know, you might see um, organizations um, effectively like uh, sort of headhunting uh, people to, you know, train their staff or, um, you know, it, certainly in, in things like healthcare, you, you can see some of the uh, device companies, uh, you know, signing up surgeons to, to train their, their workforce or, um, you know, they're aligned sort of one device company mm. or um, I, I guess, you know, it's a bit like in Formula One, you've got, you know, you're, you're going after the talent, um, not only to sort of drive your race car, but also to kind of uh, collect data on them and, um, you know, inform your future decision of, of who's going to be driving your car and how you upskill your future workforce. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I, I think it's a really good point. I mean, I think actually with um, sort of the, the um, scalability and, um the way that experience can be sort of you know captured but then can be shared across um cloud-based platforms like ours um would probably actually reduce um some of that because although you would um you, you know you could have an instance where uh, one organization is is you know not sharing any of their content with anyone else and they just want to keep it internally um I think the fact that people know about it uh, would would basically kind of prevent that. And um, certainly in the healthcare industry, I can't I can't obviously speak for every single sector, but um, the the healthcare industry is is brilliant because um, you know as as we've seen uh, COVID unfortunately impact, there's a heck of a lot of in person education and training events where people are literally just sharing knowledge um, around how to you know either do new types of operations or how to share. Um, learning experiences um, and so I, I think it would be it'd be highly unlikely for it to become um, sort of a monopoly if everything was digitized and, and again I, I would sort of argue that if if um, we actually sort of went went out and researched what was happening at the moment with regards to uh, teaching and training in some sectors um, you know that that's probably already happening just on on sort of a, a much smaller kind of isolated level. I feel like the internet was is kind of the first stage of that where knowledge certainly previously was in quite specific places. You would have to go through a specific avenue to get a certain kind of knowledge, um, whether it's like having the ability to access a library or going to university to learn something or um, paying a specialist to do something for you. Um, there were there, you know, uh, knowledge was quite jealously guarded. And with the internet now we have thi- like, I can go online and I can Google how to fix my, how to clean my, my bike chain, which is something I probably would have had to pay someone to do before if I didn't know it myself. Um, so I, f- I feel like this is, this is kind of the next stage in that of opening up knowledge and allowing people to access it, um, in another level. Yeah. It's, um, I, I mean, I, I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, the one of the big problems with and and you know teachers everywhere, I'm sure, will attest to this is 
so, some of them just have fantastic ways of teaching. They have uh, fantastic knowledge bases themselves. Um, and they, you know, they want to share that and they want to train as many people as possible. And they want to be known for, uh, you know, being the best teacher or, or, or having, you know, influenced someone's life or, or life or future career. That That's what a lot of, you know, teachers and, and educators want to do. Um, and, and it's really interesting, actually, my, my you know, my background in orthopedics, um, going back to like, I think it was sort of the 50s or 60s, there was a lot of innovation going on around medical devices in orthopedics. And there was, um, you know, the hip replacements with Sir John Charnley, obviously, were, were getting lots and lots of press and, and um, he was eventually kind of knighted. Whereas in the Soviet Union, behind kind of the Iron Curtain, there was a guy called Gavril Ilizarov, um, who uh, basically built uh, what's called an external fixator. So if you've ever seen anyone with a broken bone and they've got some sort of Meccano looking structure on the outside of their body, um, he built that out of effectively like a kind of horse and cart um, mechanism and treated some of his patients. And then actually he wasn't allowed to share that with anyone. Um, and it was only when the Soviet Union collapsed and he ended up treating um, a Russian um, uh, Olympic athlete uh, that he sort of got credit for that. But by that stage, you know, he he was, um, you know, well into kind of retirement at that stage. So that, that you know, that that's the kind of thing where, techniques, whether they're novel or whether they're simple, need to be shared with as many people as possible. I, I love it when, okay, so you, you know, like a, a lot of our guests have been kind of focused on one corner of the market. I really like it when someone's willing to entertain like all of the tendrils that can extend from this one uh, uh, technology that they've created. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that chat. I, I am a person who's very competitive against myself. And so I'm quite excited about uh, this technology and what it can mean for self-improvement, how you can get feedback using data on softer skills or things that you like maybe are trying to learn and not quite as... I don't know what the word is. Like You're not able to tell your progress quite as easily. So I just really think that it's a, such a cool idea to have something that you can be measuring your own progress against yourself uh, and, and kind of improving on things like leadership skills, which is just such an intangible thing at the moment. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I really, really like the idea of that. I think what the, what the data is going to say about different ways that different people learn and improve on different conditions is going to be absolutely mm. fascinating because... You know, up until the age of you know 16, 18, even beyond, around the world, people are ta taught in largely the same way. Right? It's a kind of classroom dynamic, and that's a necessity because of you know the limited resources that any kind of in, in, like any education system will have. Um, but it's but it's this yeah. system's you know a couple hundred years old, maybe even earlier. It's like you know it's it's effectively uh, an extrapolation of you know, how teaching and how kind of, you know, humans group together. So it's going to be fascinating to see when you have the freedom technologically to teach people in those different ways, how those people respond and, and how that flexibility kind of improves, you know, overall academic achievement. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fairly widely known that people learn in different ways. And definitely there's plenty of capacity right now for people to be left behind if they're not learning in the ways that are being taught to them in traditional schools or... Um, universities or even the kind of online stuff that's available right now is not always appropriate for everyone. Um, so yeah, I, I think yeah, what Quaker was mentioning about how this just kind of opens it up 
uh, too much broader audience is exciting because it just means there's more there's more potential out there to tap into. Yeah, and I mean this is this is the beginning of that journey, really. You know, what are they going to find? They're going they're going to find out patterns of learning which um, which allow someone who is currently thinking in a completely new uh, and kind of unbridled manner to tap into um, academia or vice versa. That's like a really, really uh, kind of mind-boggling learning tool right there. It's also, it's like a cyclical feedback too. Like people will have access to teachers that they wouldn't normally have access to or access to learning materials that they wouldn't normally have access to. They'll be able to develop their own skills and then feed that back Mm. so that other people can learn from what they've learned. So it's like a, it's like an exponential growth uh, field, which is just super cool. Yeah. And and in addition to that, you know, what you, there's an interesting, um, kind of field of study which is uh addressed in the book range i think i've mentioned before by uh, david epstein which basically says that there are actually very few disciplines chess is a famous example golf is another one where you have where actually just thousands of hours practicing the same thing over and over again pays off in most other fields including most sports like tennis actually it it pays to have a sort of um, a much broader knowledge of different sports and different fields because what you do what the brain does is basically to create new ideas makes connections between two seemingly disparate areas so you can imagine that if you're able to train people you know within their own field and beyond with loads of different ideas and loads of different techniques you're going to see much more kind of you know innovation if you want to use that word but but much more kind of uh, insight and new ideas but just because, but like just because of the fact that people will be able to have access to all this different kind of insight and education, mm. which is super exciting as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of What Comes Next. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not leave us a review on iTunes? You don't even have to give us five stars. Don't forget to check the show notes for more information about what we've discussed on the show and where to find us online. Thank you again and see you next time.